to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Blatantly evangelistic. I've entitled this message, Finding God When He Finds You. You'll understand in just a minute. Isaiah chapter 55, here's what it says, beginning at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And let him return to our God for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. When you read the Bible, it it is so often difficult for us to understand because things that we read like this happened thousands of years ago. So I'm going to try to set a context for you, okay, so that you can understand this message better. Is that okay? Here's what's happening. During Isaiah's ministry, the people of Judah had maintained an outward conformity to religion, but had gradually fallen into serious moral and spiritual decline. Secret places of pagan worship were tolerated. The wealthy oppressed the poor. The women neglected their families in the pursuit of carnal pleasure. Prophets and priests, many of them were drunken men pleasers. They had so completely violated their covenant with God that judgment and captivity seemed inevitable for Judah, and eventually it happened. And if you still aren't convinced that things were bad, I looked and read and found out and discovered that Isaiah the prophet employed almost every Hebrew word for sin that is available in his message to Judah. Now, you're in pretty bad shape when the prophet's using almost every word for sin to describe your condition. I just want to stop right here and say that I know that the United States of America is not in a covenant relationship with God. But when I read this, I just made a correlation, and maybe you're making it as well. It just seems that the condition of our society parallels that of the condition of Judah, Today, people worship money, they worship material wealth, power, fame, other people rather than God, or they try to do all that and still worship God. But how many of you know you can't worship other things and make them equal to God? There's only one person to get your worship. And in in America, I still think we have places and, and situations where the wealthy oppress the poor. You look at our society, people are consumed with the pursuit of carnal pleasure. It is like we have lost our compassion. It's like we've lost our sense of self-discipline in our society. And not every preacher, God knows. But y'all, I am seeing it, and I've seen it for the last several years. Pastors and preachers refuse to preach the unadulterated word of God for fear that they will offend people and they will lose members. And so they preach feel-good messages, but they will not preach words that people need to hear that might make them uncomfortable 
people, but they're words that will transform their life. And so they're not preaching the word of the Lord. And God help us. I'm watching in America. There has been a movement. It is horrible. And even in the Pentecostal holiness churches like ours, there has been a movement that preachers are beginning to say, you know what? Drinking is okay. And even I can drink. And you got preachers that are drinking and they're going to restaurants and bellying up to the bar and the restaurant and they're drinking and they're trying. Let me tell you something. We have reached a place where we're in trouble. You say, well, pastor, is that a bad thing? Well, let me just tell you about a couple of people named Nadab and Abihu. They were the high priest sons. They were preachers in the Old Testament and they started drinking and got drunk and then they went to the church and they tried to do ministry and they offered strange fire that God told them not to do and God killed them. So you want to know how God feels about that? I think it's pretty clear. My point is, we are a wicked society, and we are a sin-filled nation, and we are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are in desperate need of the redemption that only God can give through his son, Jesus. So I want to preach today this message that correlates through Isaiah, God cries out to the people of Judah. And like I said, just keep your Bible open. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And I went back and did extensive word studies of the original Hebrew because I wanted to get the sense of what God was saying through the prophet. Here's what God is saying. Pursue me. Search me out while I may be encountered. Cry out to me. Call me by name while I'm present in your life. Can you feel that? God's saying, cry out to me because you're in desperate need to be saved. When I was preparing for this message, I thought in about an event that happened to me quite a few years ago. There's a guy that went to church here then. His name was Mike. Mike called me one day. said, Pastor, he said, let's go hunting, deer hunting. I said, let's go. He took me down around the Hodges area. He was in a brand new hunting club. It was new to him. I didn't realize how new it was to him. He, he got in a stand, took me to the deepest part of that hunting club, and I sat on the side of a bank. It was the evening hunt, and closer to dark, two deer came through. I shot one, and, and, and the other one stood I shot the other a bag two deer well I went back and got Mike on my four-wheeler and we came back down to get the deer now it's starting to really get dark and so we we found the one deer. the other deer had run off I hit it but we, it ran off so we followed the blood trail as hunters do and we were fine we've trailed we finally found the deer it died and so we had both deer now we're deep in the woods I thought Mike knew where he was I said, Mike, do we need to go back the way we came. Do you, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. He said, well, there's a creek. He said, well, I think we follow this creek. It'll just take us right back around to where we started. I said, okay. And so we started dragging my deer. We drugged that deer. I don't know how far, got back around. And Mike looked and said, uh-oh, this isn't where I thought it was going to be. I said, Mike, where are we? He said, I don't know. We're lost. At that moment, the, my stomach did the flip-flop, y'all know what I'm talking about, and went sour, and I just, and I looked at him, and a panic came over me. We are so deep in the woods, you don't hear car noise. Now, that's deep. I grabbed my phone. I said, you call somebody that's in this club. You call a game warden. I don't care if you have to call the National Guard. You get somebody out here. I told him that. I said, you get somebody out here right now and find us because we are lost. It's December. I had left my jacket back there. There are coyotes in the woods. We got a dead deer bleeding, dragging around. I mean, this ain't good. They didn't get us till midnight that night. We had the Hodges police out there blowing a siren to let us know they had found us. The game wards came in looking for us. We had club members. It took them forever. And so they're, thank God for cell phones. And so they called and they said, can you hear us yelling? See, we cried out for help. 
You with me? We cried out for help. Well, then they got there and they're pursuing us. They're trying to find us and they're yelling. They called, they said, can you hear us? We said, no, we can't hear you. I said, go down the bottom of the hill. You'll see my four-wheeler. Yell from there. Maybe we can hear. They walked down this big hill and there sure enough was my four-wheeler and they started just way off. We could hear them. And we called them. We said, they said, can I said, yeah, we can hear you. Keep yelling. Don't And they just kept yelling and yelling. And, and, and Mike said, get the deer. We worked too hard for the deer. <laughs> We grabbed the deer and we go dragging the deer. And sure enough, we got to, man, I was never so glad to see people all my life. You just don't know. You say, why are you telling that story? Because here's what I want to do. I want to correlate it today. When you are lost in sin, when you are in sin and you're in a, under conviction, okay, and, and you are in a bad place in that regard, you must respond to that conviction by crying out to God and running after him. We, we ran after the sound of their voice, see, because we wanted to be saved. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you must confess your sins. You got to admit that you're a sinner in desperate need of a savior. That's what I did with Mike. I said, Mike, we're lost. Okay. We might be in South Carolina and near Hodges, but it doesn't matter. We're lost. And see, that's the way it is in sin. You know where you are. You know you've got your bearings in your life and surroundings. But in reality, when it comes to your relationship with God, you're lost. You're in sin. You're not right with God. And so you must believe in Jesus' saving work on the cross and ask him for forgiveness. And y'all, you don't have to pray a fancy prayer. People say, I don't have the words. You don't have, there was, when Jesus was dying on the cross, they put two thieves on either side of him. And at first, both thieves gave him a hard time. But the longer he hung there and spoke, how many know there's power in the word of God? <laughs> the one thief got his eyes open and realized, this isn't a criminal like us. This, is, this ain't even a righteous man. This is a son of God. This is, this is God. This is, he's like, I don't know what's going to happen after he dies, but he ain't just going to die. Something's up here. This is, this is, this is a savior. I think this is the Messiah. And so he changed his tune and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now that's the wackiest sinner's prayer I've ever heard. But here's the point. He didn't get the words right, but that's not the point. He had faith in Jesus and he just cried out to the Lord and God saw his heart and the Lord looked at him and they, he knew they were all gonna die. He said, but today you will be with me in paradise. And I'm here to tell you, they, that man died, but the moment the breath left him, his spirit was still alive and he went straight. As a matter of fact, he may have been one of the first people from earth that went to heaven, that went to heaven post-resurrection. Isn't that pretty cool? And he was a criminal and a vile sinner. You don't have to pray a fancy prayer. You just have to say, Lord, remember me. Don't forget Forget about me. I'm, a, I'm in a mess, God. Please do something with my life. I want to change. And God will see your heart and he'll save you. Hallelujah. And by the way, I just think this is worth mentioning. You don't pursue God until he first pursues you. Let me explain that. I've, I've met people through the years of my ministry. They'll say, well, you know, I'll talk to them. I'll get, well, I don't want to get saved now. I'll get saved when I'm ready. I'll get saved when I'm good and ready. Let me help you here with this. Okay, you don't get saved when you're good and ready. You get saved when God's good and ready. Okay, you understand me? God, you're in wrong relationship with God. Okay, it's kind of like you have an argument with your wife. 
Well, I'll, I'll get right with I'll fix things with her when I'm good and ready. Yeah, tell me how that goes. <laughs> yeah. All the men said amen. You get right with her when she gets good and ready. Am I right? Hey, I've been married 30 years. I know I'm right. Listen, it's multiply that a zillion times over with God. Every sin you ever commit is against God. You have countless sins against God, and you have sinned against God. And you say, well, I'll get ready when I, I want to sow my wild oats, and I want to live wild, and I want to party with my friends, and I want to do this. And I'm the, Let me tell you something. That's not how it works. When God begins to deal with you, and you know it, because God deals with your heart, deals with your soul, you better deal with it right then. Because when God's dealing with you, that's your moment. That's the invitation. That's the pool of God. you got to respond to that. I, you know, when you pastor a church 20 years, you tell the same story. But some of you haven't heard these stories. Years ago, years ago, I was a youth pastor at Praise Cathedral. And I, 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 I didn't make a lot of money. Uh, and so I loved to play golf, but I couldn't afford to play, play golf. And there was a golf course in Greenville that would allow preachers to play golf on Monday for free. So guess what? My day off was Monday, and I'd go play golf for free. And I'd write them cards. I'd send them cards. Everyone, thank you cards. Just tell them, man, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I was always grateful. Well, I went one day, and I, I, I was so without money that I, didn't even, I couldn't even afford to ride the cart. I walked. And, and so I would, I would walk. Well, I, on this particular day, I was playing nine holes, and I was walking. I already walked like two or three holes, and I looked back, and there was, a, there was somebody in a golf cart behind me, a single. Well, the etiquette in golf is you're walking, they're riding, you let them play through. And so I waved him through and got out of the way, and he hit his drive. He drove down to where I was, and it happened to be a local high school student. And he was a pretty good golfer, too. He may, I think he may have been on the golf team. And so he said, you by yourself? I said, yeah. He said, well, why don't you ride with me? Well, my leg said, thank you, Jesus. And so I got up in his chariot, in his golf cart, and I put my clubs up there, and uh, we started riding. Well, when you ride with somebody, you're going to say, hey, what's your name? My name's this. And as we talked, he, he asked me, he said, can I ask you, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a youth pastor at a church in Greer. And he looked at me and said, wow, this is crazy. And I said, why? And this is what he said to me. All day long, I have been under conviction for my sins, and I need to get right with God. And he said, you get in my cart, and you're a preacher. I was like, yes. And so for the rest of those nine holes, five or six holes, I witnessed to that young man, told him about the Lord. And y'all, I'm telling you, this is the truth. I am not making this up because I don't make stuff up. The more I talked about Jesus, the better I hit. I was playing like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson all in one. I thought, man, I need to witness every round of golf I play. I was making shots that I can't make. We got to the last hole, finished. We drove into the parking lot of that golf course to put our clubs in the back of our car. And I think that young man's name, if I remember, was Jamie. And I said, Jamie, look, I said, I don't want to pressure you. But I said, and listen to me, because this is what I'm preaching to you. I said, if God is dealing with you, you can't put this off. I said, God is reaching out to you. I said, you need to pray on the way home. When you get home, go up in your bedroom and you need to pray, but you're going to have to get right with God. He said, well, I'm telling you, this has been on me all day. I have been under conviction. He said, I just assume pray right here. And y'all, right there standing in the parking lot of a local golf course in Greenville, I led that young man in the sinner's prayer and God saved his soul and saved his life. He got in his car and drove up. I'm hoping I'll see him in heaven one of these days. Are you understanding me? When God deals with you, you got to deal with it right then. Don't shrug him off. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon the Lord while he's near. And then Isaiah said, let the wicked forsake his way. 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God was telling Judah, listen to me now, to let go of their sinful ideas. Let go of their sinful opinions and mental images. Let go of their sinful behavior and turn back to him. And listen, if you're going to get right with God, you will have to leave your life of sin and turn to God. This is called repentance. Are y'all hearing me? You don't just get saved and have a feel good moment and then go back living the way you were in sin. That's not how it works. You have to have a change in your mind about sin. You have to hate sin. You have to choose to relinquish your sin and to think and talk and act in righteousness. Let me say something to you today that there's some things I want to say to you. This is one of them. Salvation is not reformation. Salvation is transformation. When you reform, you change. I've, I've, I've dealt with people through the years, and they, I say, you know, you, you, you're talking to me, man. It sounds like you need to get saved. Yeah, I need to get saved, but i, I got to straighten out some things first. If I've heard that once, I've heard it more times than I can remember. Yep. I just got some things I need to straighten out. You got it all wrong, man. Billy Graham had it right. You just come just as you are without one plea. Thank God your blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest come to me. See, there's the call. Lamb of God, here I come. You just got to come. He said, but I'm a mess. That's right, but God's got this thing. He's good at cleaning up your messes. If you try to straighten up stuff, you're not equipped to straighten up stuff. But, oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. But if you let God change you and transform you, then you will be equipped and changed so that you can deal with the stuff in your life. God will give you the power. to. So salvation is not reformation. It's transformation. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 reads like this. Listen, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How many know when y'all get saved, you gotta, have a, you gotta be reprogrammed? Because all you got in your head is bad thoughts and bad things and, and your, your whole, even your learned behavior, it's learned. It's a mental thing. I'll get to that in a minute. And so you've got to be reprogrammed, be made new in the attitude of your mind. And then he said, and put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You were created not only, one translation says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's like this. Okay, like I'm going to do a little illustration. So this is what you do. This is your sin. Put it off. Throw it away. Okay? You get it off. Get the sin off. It's, it's, that's an image of a coat. That's what the Paul's using, an image. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. How does that happen? Read your Bible. Listen to preachers. Come to church. Get in a life group. Read your Bible. Get in a life group. Read your Bible. Come to church every Sunday. Read your Bible. Are y'all getting this? Okay. And you, God will reprogram it. And then... Put on, this isn't sin anymore. This is something different. This is a different coat than that sin. Put on the new man. You remember y'all got baptized? We buried the old man or woman and a new man or woman came up. See, that's not reformation. That's transformation through resurrection. Resurrection never reformed anybody. It'll transform somebody. Whoo, God. Be made, put on the new man, which is created to be like God. And true righteousness and holiness. So you're going to be righteous and you're going to be holy. It's transformation. Y'all got this? Y'all getting this? Okay, I'll make sure. And then he said, let the... No, I'm missing that. Let me go to this. Then he said, a promise. 
he will have mercy on you and abundantly pardon you. All right, y'all got to watch this because there's some stuff I've just been anxious to tell you today. Mercy. That means God will deeply love you. Now, when you're in sin, and all of us in this room have been there, and if you're a sinner today and you're in sin, your concept of God is probably not very positive because you're feeling like, you know, I'm, in, I'm not right with God. God knows how I am. I know God probably doesn't like me. Well, God loves you. You got it wrong. God just hates what you are and what you're doing, but he loves you. For God so loved the world. They weren't, the world wasn't saved when God loved them and sent Jesus. So he loves you. Okay, he just abhors your sin. And so the mercy of God extends this incredible love towards you that is deep. It is the, the word means, it's a picture of a mother's love to a nursing baby. I think about my, my daughter-in-law, Mary Beth, with my grandson Barrett, <laughs> little baby Barrett, and her nursing that child and loving that child. And tend, that's the kind of love, you know, that's an incredible love, isn't it? That's all the, all the moms know. That, there's just, you can't hardly find a love deeper than that, right moms? Just, that's the kind of love that God has. And it is also the love of a, a picture of a father that a father has for his sons. Now, listen to me. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. When you are in sin, there is nothing. If you're a sinner, you are helpless in your sin. Just like we were helpless in the woods. We could have tried to find our way out. And, and I looked at Mike. I said, Mike, I think we need to go this way. Mike said, I think we need to go this way. And that's when I knew we were lost. By the way, I was right. So I... Anyway, but you, you, you're helpless. You can't save yourself, all right? There's nothing you can do to change your circumstances. Listen to me. This is so important. God knows this. Did you know that? God knows that you can't help yourself. And listen to me. You got to get this. And he is moved by the fact that you can't help yourself. Men, not that a woman can't do this too, okay? But I'm just going to preach to men right now, ladies. Is that okay? You, you're driving along. You got somewhere to go. Pull in a parking lot, whatever. And you see a woman. Her car is there. The hood's up. You can tell. She's standing there. She looks bewildered. And you can tell she's having car trouble. What do you do? What would we stop? What most men do. Most men, now if you're one of those people, you can't screw a light bulb in. You just keep on driving. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember Loran Livingston, he pastors this massive church in Charlotte. He can't do nothing. His wife has to fix everything in the house, and he'll tell you that. But, but, but you know, we men who can fix, what do we do? We pull up. We don't know this woman. We, we, don't, we got things to do. We got play, but there is something innate in us that says she's helpless. She can't help herself. I can. I got to go over there, and, and we don't ask for money. We don't write her a bill. If you do, you need to pray through. You just go over there and you help her. Why? Because you are moved by her helplessness. Are you with me? Guys, that's the picture of God when he sees a sinner. He knows you can't save yourself. And, and yeah, he doesn't like your sin. It, he hates your sin. But he knows you're in a mess and you can't get out of it. And he says, that makes me love you. Now listen to me. And then he said, he will not only have mercy, but he will abundantly pardon. And so I looked up that word and it was interesting. That word abundantly means intensified, multiplied, many times over. So over and over and over and over to the greatest length, to the greatest degree, God will forgive you. And so I did this word studies because that's what preachers do. And so I got into the depth. I want to find out. And I got to the root of this word abundantly it's in English, but in the Hebrew. And it was, you know what the root was? Locust. I said, what's a grasshopper got to do with God? 
And then the Lord said, I'll tell you. And he, and he showed me. And I said, ah, I couldn't wait the day to show. So how many of you have ever seen a swarm of locusts in real life? Anybody in this place? You got have? Where at? In Kansas. That's right. It happens out west. Anybody else ever seen one? Anybody else in the house ever seen a swarm of locusts? You have? Where at? Okay, like in the field. All right, so we had, so we got two. We had one guy in the first, Jack Terry, he's seen it in Honduras. They were, they were missionaries to Honduras, so Jack's seen it in Central America. The reality is the rest of us, now we've seen a grasshopper, but we've never seen a swarm of locusts, right? All right, so I'm gonna give you a visual right here, and then I'm gonna make a spiritual truth, so watch this. They have to keep on moving. The swarm travels with the wind. It's the most energy-saving way of flying. Following the flow of wind means that they're always heading toward areas of low pressure, places where wind meets rain and vegetation starts to grow. As they fly, swarms join up with other swarms to form gigantic plagues several billion strong and as much as 40 miles wide. They will consume every edible thing that lies in their path. All right, do you see all those locusts? And if you could not understand the British man as he was talking and is very difficult because we're from Anderson, South Carolina. What the British man said in his commentary is that they can be several billion strong. And I think he either said 40 or 50 miles wide. All right, now that's big, right? Okay, in the mortal words of Donald Trump, that's huge. I had to throw that in there. That's so much fun to do. Okay, and so just massive, right? You saw all those swarms, okay? And that's the root word for abundantly is what you just saw on the screen. I'm gonna come down here and preach this because y'all about to shout. If you don't shout, your wood's wet. Y'all ready for this? Here's what God is saying. The pardon, the forgiveness that I have for your sins is so great and so much that like a swarm of locusts that you can't count that goes past several billions. They can't even, humans can't. He said for every sin that you've committed, for every wrong thing that you've done, every vile thing that you've thought, every bad decision you've ever made, there is a forgiveness for your sin. There is a cleansing for your sin. There is pardon for your sin. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how big, bad you've been, how much you've done it. My God, I'm going to get happy this morning. There is forgiveness and God's grace is there where sin abounds. Y'all, grace does much more abound for your sin. Somebody give God a praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Doesn't matter how much you've done. There's forgiveness for it. Hallelujah. And then I'm going to close right here, okay? we got to wrap this thing up. Verses 8 and 9. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways, says the Lord. Your thoughts aren't my thought, thoughts, says the Lord. All right. Every time I've ever read that scripture, some of you may have read that scripture. Some of you may be new to you. That scripture speaks of the transcendence of God. He transcends us. He's beyond us. When, I, when I've interpreted that scripture all my life, it meant that God's ways and thoughts are unfathomably beyond ours because he's a divine being and we're human beings, right? Like he knows things that I can never comprehend. 
He can do things that are impossible for me to do. We had a young man here in the first service. It was their first time here. Well, they'd been here years ago, but this first time back, they were visiting. They're looking for a church. Young student is a senior at uh, BHP. And this kid's brilliant. I could tell, man, talking to him. We sat, we stood over there after service, between services, and we talked for 15 minutes. And that young man is gonna go, he's either going to USC or Clemson. Let's all join hands and pray for him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, 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 and he, he's going to get a degree in physics and mathematics. Now, that's just an area, you know, where you just, I mean, E equal MC squared just messes us up right there. You know, that's Greek. And this young man's going, and we started talking. And this young man, he, I think it's a God-given gift. He just has this capacity to understand things that we can't understand. You start getting into quantum physics and things like that. And so I've studied some of that, and we started having this conversation. We had a lot of fun just talking. I read a book one time where, and a physicist, he, he talked about this. That he, he said, you know how we talk about God is in the past, he's in the present, he's already in the future? How can God do that? Because we're limited by time or space. We're three-dimensional. So we have to be in one place at one time. But God can be all places at all times. But how do you explain that other than, well, he's God? Well, the science of physics says that if God is, say if there's a fourth dimension, you know, like all the sci-fi shows, science fiction shows talk about the fourth dimension. And with fourth dimension, you can have time travel. You can be in two different places at one time and all that stuff. So yeah, the fourth dimension. What if God was multidimensional? What if God had 26 dimensions or 100 dimensions? If God had 100 dimensions within his very being, then God could be to these unstupid, the stupid number of zeros to the 124th power places at the same time. And this physicist was actually giving equations, showing the possibility, and he just picked one if God was this many. And we don't know how many dimensions God has. There may be an unlimited number of dimensions, but here's the point. I can't understand that. That makes him God. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher. And, I, and you know what? He knows the future. I don't. When I'm faced with a decision, he knows the best choice. I may and I may not. He can heal cancer. I can't. He can open blinded eyes. I can't. He can raise the dead. I can't. These things are beyond the scope of my limited abilities, your limited abilities. But I'm just going to preach a little bit, then I'll get to my last point. But here's the thing. I'm glad that his ways are higher than my ways. And I'm glad that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Why? Because that means he has the answers to all of my questions. And he has the solutions to all of my problems. And that means because of him, he can open doors of opportunity that I can't open. He can give me favor with people that I can't earn on my own. Because of him, I can walk in victory over the devil. Because of him, I can walk in victory over my flesh. Because of him, I can walk in victory over this stinking world. Because of him I have victory over sin because of him I have victory over death greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world I am more I'm getting fired up sorry I'm Pentecostal I am more than a conqueror to him who loves me I'm glad his ways are beyond my ways but now here's the part I'm going to close with all my life that's how I've translated this scripture and then as I'm reading this text like it jumped off the page at me. I went, whoa, there's something else here. And the context helps you to understand it. So stay with me right here. The people of Judah were sinful, right? Living in sin, we've got that established. So God says to them, sinful people, because you're sinful, 
Your ways aren't my ways. And your thoughts aren't my thoughts. You see that? He said, your behavior is vile and filthy and wicked. And you transgress my moral law. That's not how I operate. And your thoughts are impure. And you're imagining things to do wrong. And they're unclean. That's not, those aren't my thoughts. It reminds me of the state of mankind prior to the great flood in Genesis 6. Let me read this to you. This is a quote. The Bible says, quote, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent, watch this, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now listen to verse 12. And, let me find it, all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Thoughts and ways. My thoughts, my ways. Your thoughts, your ways. And because the world was so wicked in sin, we know what happened. God sent the flood and destroyed them all because sin demands death. God told the people of Judah, my ways and my thoughts are higher than your ways and your thoughts. There is a field of psychology called cognitive behavior. There is actually a field of medicine or psychology rather called cognitive behavior therapy. And it says and understands that there is a direct correlation between your thoughts and your behavior. A lie, a lustful thought about another man's wife, or a lewd action all begin as the creation of a mental image. So God says, my ways and thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts. My ways and thoughts are pure and holy and righteous. Now, I want to show you something. Y'all with me? I'm about to close. His ways higher than, his thoughts higher, right? So watch this. God sets a high standard for morality. Sin sets the lowest standard for morality. And when you're in sin, you're living down here. But when God saves you and transforms you, your life changes and you start living up here. You will think right, live right, talk right, choose right, react right. You think and act like him. That's God's plan. I want to preach this because it needs to be preached desperately. Romans 8.28, 8.29, Romans 8.20 is one of the most misinterpreted passages of the Bible. For all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Oh, something bad happens. Well, God's going to work it for good. That's not what that means, but people will misuse it. You have to read both those scriptures together. Everything in your life, God is working for a good because you're called and there's a purpose. Good to see you guys back. I'm missing you guys. Got that? He's going to work things for your good because you're called. There's a purpose. Y'all with me? That's what the verse says. So what's the purpose? Next verse. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image 
of his son. So here's God's plan for your life. Don't miss this. To be conformed, transformed into the image of Jesus. That's your purpose. Have kids, grandkids, enjoy your grandkids, get a job, make lots of money, get a boat, get a car, go hunting, play golf, buy shoes, ladies, whatever you want to do. Eat, drink, enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's what the Bible says. But most of all, number one priority, let God change you and transform you every day. So like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. So when people look at Joel Warren, they say, man, something about you makes me think of Jesus. Now you, I knew before you were saved, man, <laughs> you ain't nothing about you made me think of Jesus, but there's something happening in your life. You're different, man. You're different. I don't know what it is. You just something about you makes me think of God. That's what should be happening in your life. My dad's here this morning. My dad's preached this for years, and I thank God dad poured this into me. How many of you know Adam? Adam was about as much like God as any man could be, right? He was called the son of God. That's right. I can show you in the, in the Gospels. He's called the son of God. So he was a son of, he was the first creation. And then sin comes in. Adam reflected the image of God. But when sin came in, it's like taking a big hammer and throwing it up against a mirror. It shattered the image. It distorted the image. But what the first Adam blew, the second Adam came in and fixed, called Jesus. And he took care of the sin problem. And when you get saved, the transformation makes the mirror back together again. And so when people look at you, they see the reflection of the Jesus in you. Because when you're saved, it isn't reformation where God says, okay, I washed your sins away. It's not just missing hell and going to heaven, but he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. God lives in you. The third person of the Godhead whose job is to make you like Jesus. That's why people who get saved change. Because they're not strong. It's because he's strong. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.